0: What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of the Compassive Podcast, or video if you are watching the video version of this. Today, I have another very special guest, and, and this is going to be a great one. And I'm going to be trying to not, you know, uh, say too many nice things, because I use both of these apps. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I talk about them a lot on the live stream. And this is also someone, if you hang out on the live stream, and if you don't, what is wrong with you? Go to compileswift.com forward slash live uh, But if you will probably know the name, and you will certainly know the tools, and if you don't know the tools, you will by the end of this episode, and you will use them both. One of them in particular has saved my butt so many times as a developer. But Adam Wolf, sir, thank you for joining me. Please introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Peter. It's really good to be here. It's really fun. Um, I am the solo developer for Muse uh, as of about two months ago. I worked with a team before that on the application for a number of years. It is a note-taking app. It is designed to really just help you think. So it helps you get the mess outside of your mind, Onto kind of digital paper, you can figure it out and uh, and really come to deep conclusions. And then the other app that we, we can talk about today is I'm also the, the developer for Developer Duck, which is a rubber duck programming app uh, that uses ChatGPT, uses some custom prompts and some custom logic to make it developer specific to help you uh, program and think through your programming.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a bit about me and uh, we will put links in the show notes for everything here. Uh, and we're going to break this down, and I'm going to going to try and keep this on track. But like I say, I, I do use both of these apps, and I'm, I'm going to try to not go down too many rabbit holes or, or dark holes, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Uh, but let's <laughs> let's start with Muse. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, I'm, I'm going to take issue with you a little bit here because yeah. it is so much more than a note taking app. Um, and and I, I'll give a, a sort of a quick description here for folks and then, uh, you know, you can do it much better. But I'll base this on how I use the app, right? So to, to me, I describe it to folks and I use it as like my brain's whiteboard is, is how mm-hmm. I describe it. Yes, you, you know, you can take notes with it and everything else and, uh, you know, stuff like that. I also use it for gathering things. So it's been kind of like a drop board for me where I'll quickly put links in there that I need to go back to and and things like that. And uh, one of the things I've started experimenting with recently, and and I I was going to talk to you about this, but then I thought, no, I'll catch you out on the podcast. That's what I should do Uh, is, um, you know, there's the templates in there. And I have started working uh, using a, a Kanban board in the app Mm -hmm. and and I've done that by sort of laying out some some titles and then you know just sort of moving the cards around so for me it really is my put my brain down on a huge whiteboard that I can beautifully zoom in and out on um, and link cards and all of those kind of things but let's let's dive into it here that that's kind of how I use it it's my yeah don't let me forget but Please, I I know I'm not doing it justice, and and it's yeah. amazing to me that also you're you know it's like one person's working on this. <laughs> Are you yeah, crazy? <laughs> it is a lot. It's it's yeah. big,
1: and it's it's interesting because it is. Um, I mean, you can certainly do note taking on it, but when you when you think of note taking, it's like okay, you got a like the Apple Notes app. You get one mm. giant sheet of paper. It scrolls top to bottom. You can write stuff on it. Good for you, right? Yeah. But in Muse, it's. It's you start out in an infinite whiteboard. Mm. Everything you put on it is cards, whether it's a PDF file or uh, images or uh, text or another whiteboard can be a card. Yeah, And then you can on that second whiteboard card, you can zoom in to a completely new infinite canvas. And so you end up building out uh, a tree structure of infinite canvases that contain more infinite canvases inside of them. Uh, and then on top of that, you can start linking between them. So instead of a tree structure, it's a graph structure of all of these infinite whiteboards connecting to each other back and forth. Um, so it, it's deceptively simple. The first time you open the app, cause you're like great giant white space. I can put stuff on it. I can mm-hmm. write with a pencil, no big deal. And then it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. The more that you use it, the more that you, um, build things out. So yeah, it's the same for me. I have um, a personal muse for me and my wife and my family. And we track our house stuff and, you know, auto insurance and just things for life. Mm-hmm. And then I obviously mm-hmm. use it for work as well and have a, uh, expansive board for tracking to do lists for muse and for developer duck and for all of the, uh, developer tasks, Kanban board style, but also marketing tasks and also meetings that I have or, if I'm tracking down a particularly nasty bug, then I'll open up a board and I can put all of the information for that bug and kind of organize my thoughts around um, what may or may not be the cause and different paths and tracks that I've tried out. And so, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, on, on day one, it's a note taking app, but on day 30, as you're using it, it really becomes a second brain and yeah. um, a second active brain. It's not a database. It's not a personal knowledge management kind of thing it can be but it's it's an active thinking space for your brain for sure
0: oh yeah and and what I like about it here uh, you know is is the, the sort of this infinite space because mm-hmm. I, I I know sort of me and how my brain works and when I'm in you know that that capturing phase which I think this is kind of key here uh, mm-hmm. it, that that's how my brain works right is mm-hmm. you know this bit here, this bit there, dumping it all over the place in a very non-linear way. And w- what I've found is, you know, not to pick on Apple Notes here, which is a, goes from strength to strength every release, but the reason those kind of tools don't work for me when I'm in that phase is the fact that they are very linear list-based, right? Whatever right. that may exactly. be, text and then an image and then so on, it's always in a list form so it gets you thinking in that space in a in a very list oriented structured kind of way and when i'm doing my my brain dumps on things uh i'm very not structured and and purposefully Mm -hmm. because at that stage i'm telling myself you know don't be structured what i also liked is not only can i use this app on the mac but more importantly perhaps Uh, In that phase, I can use it on my iPad. So I pick up the pencil, Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm literally just drawing boxes all over the place, right? I'm almost using it like a a drawing app at that stage. Mm -hmm. And and sort of a box here with this and an arrow pointing to it, and then this links to this. You know, those kind of things that you you just can't easily do in uh, everyday kind of... Brain capturing apps, you know, things like right. to do lists and things like that, where it's like, that's always more a case of, I've got my things, now I need to structure them, right? Um, yeah. Exactly. And so I like that infinite space of just just put it down, really, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that really echoes uh, what a customer said then very recently. They said, man, so if when I use Apple Notes and I'm collecting these thoughts and I, you know, want to drop a link in there and a picture and this other link, I have to decide immediately where in the note to put it. And mm. so before I've even been able to think through the problem, I have to already start putting structure to the to the problem. Um, so it, it feels like the process ends up backwards for tools yeah. like that. Whereas in Muse, you can just start pushing content in, and you don't actually have to decide where it goes at all. You can dump them all in a giant pile on a whiteboard or you know, start even categorizing things spatially a little bit of this is kind of similar to this. so I'll put it over on this side of the board and these three things kind of relate. So I'll put them down at the bottom, but you don't have to decide yet. And that I think is, is really part of the magic is it lets your, your thought process digitally in the tool mirror how we do things, you know, internally in our minds already, which is, uh, let me just collect what the inputs are Okay, now that I have all the inputs, I can start to think through them and process them and get to the end result.
0: Yeah, because you know, for me, um, over years of being a you know productivity nut, uh, I realized that trying to apply structure at the capture phase is where it f- these things fail. Forget whether it's mm-hmm. you know software tool X Y Z or a piece of paper. If I allow my brain to start organizing thoughts as I'm putting down, I've already failed because I know I'm mm-hmm. not thinking about you know letting everything flood in because I'm already trying to sort the boxes, right? You know, right. Um, yeah. And and so I I love that I can do that um, because I still do it now. Even you know, I I think I mentioned this before, um, but I'm still a paper and pen person as well because. Yeah. Uh, the, ex- the exact reason being, among others, uh, it slows me down and, and therefore, mm-hmm. if i 'm writing with pen and paper i 'm giving it more thought, randomly typing a hundred words on a, on a screen somewhere. Uh, but I do love that I can then just pick these things up once i 've got them captured. Start to organize them like you were saying, the boards within boards and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I sort of start breaking down okay, there's going to be a project board for project X, you know, that kind of thing, right? Yep, but it comes along later. Now, I am curious, um, you know, from a sort of the technical side here, like you say, you, mm-hmm. you know, you took this over, and I've always wondered, you know, applications like this. You know, it's, it's that thing of I look at it, I'm like where where do you even start, right? You know, especially yeah. as when you say like infinite canvas and, and you know, or, or even just, you know, from a technical standpoint, how do you approach these kind of problems when it comes to, you know, not only building something like that, but thinking about, you know, and, and please don't give away any secrets here, but, you know, how do you store this kind of data in an application? Yeah. Those kind of things. Yeah,
1: it's... I think Muse is one of the most interesting projects that I've worked on for exactly that reason. Um, the The way that the data is structured and the way the application is structured. At its foundation, it relies on a technology called CRDT, which okay. is a conflict-free replicated data type, is what okay. that means. And so all of the data for Muse and for the stuff that you work on is saved locally on device. Okay. Whereas if you use something like Notion or Google Docs or you know, any of the other myriad of applications, all of your data lives on Google server. And then when you interact with it, the Google server sends back a small piece of it and you get to work Mm. on that small piece with muse. It's the entire system is flipped. So you have a hundred percent of your data locally on a device. You can work on it with or without an internet connection, completely offline, completely online. And then the application sends very small deltas of your changes to the muse sync server Mm. Which then sends those changes down to your other devices, which also have a complete full copy of your data, and then that conflict free, the crdt the con- conflict free replicated data type handles merging that data in a way that does not show the merge edits that we're all used to in git of, yeah. oh gosh okay. there's a merge conflict, please come fix it. Um, the data types we use automatically fix conflicts, no matter what, and there's some some ways that we've structured the data so that way when Conflicts happen because conflicts inevitably happen. It's just that they get automatically resolved. Mm. So, for example, if I, my Mac is offline and my iPad is offline, I change the same card or the same image. I move it in two different places. The way that Muse is set up, it's just last right wins structure, right? And yep. so I move the card and I move the card on my second device and they both synchronize with each other. And then they both know when the other one edited it. And so they both decide, oh, okay. The iPad wins because it was the most recent. So they both agree now uh, when that happened. So then what this, the magic and the reason I can, I can maintain this as a single developer in a traditional application, you have a giant pile of logic on the device for business logic about how cards act and how the canvas acts and how pencils act and all that sort of stuff. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: then you also have that same logic on the server Because the server has to know about cards and pencils and all that sort of stuff. So you end up building a lot of the same logic in two different places. With the CRDT logic, I'm just sending very small edits to the server that are actually opaque to the server. The server doesn't really care what the edits are because the conflict resolution happens on device. So our entire server is actually very, very dumb. It knows who I am. It knows who my devices are. And then it just kind of helps route my data to my other devices and to myself, and so I can build entirely new features without touching the server at all, um, which lets me iterate, you know, thousands of times faster than I could if I had to build new web services and new server logic and new permission systems and all the stuff on the server. I don't have to do any of that. I can just build entirely locally on my Mac, and then I get sync. Essentially, for free, just by moving all of my edits uh, through a, a pretty simple uh, the server i don't know two thousand lines of code, something like that, like mm. it's a very very simple server to to push data back and forth
0: that um, is really interesting so yeah because yeah
1: it's, yeah it's unlike anything I've ever worked on before
0: yeah that that's fascinating because you 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 have to make a choice right with this kind mm-hmm. of thing, like you say you're either going to have um very smart application, very simple backend. Or yep. very complicated backend, very simple application. And, I, and I've, I, you know, pretty much always worked the other way around just because of mm-hmm. what the applications need. Um, so, you know, I'm used to kind of that that dumb application is only as good as the data it gets, right? Um, right, yep. But I, the, the problem with that is... Yes. First of all, you're going to need you need to either be really good at the client app and the back end or you need someone else to, to do the back end for mm-hmm. you, which now is yeah. a dependency of people. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and then you've got now we're talking API and right exchange in between and things like that, um, plus yeah. the maintenance of the back end and, and the back end has to be up. Right. Arguably, one of the, the biggest flaws there is the back end has to be up. Whereas mm-hmm. on the flip side, the way you're doing it here, you have the added bonus of great privacy because it's on the device. Um, exactly, yeah. So with that, though, a question I have is, does, does the data persist on the back end or is it purely used as a pass-through mechanism? Meaning, if I was to delete the app from all of my devices... Mm-hmm. What happens with that data?
1: Yeah. So the data that's synchronized through the server does persist on the server. Okay. And so if you drop your laptop in a lake and that was your last device, you can go buy a new laptop, log into your account, and all of your data synchronizes back down to your account. And so in that way, the the cloud does what it's good at. It provides kind of a backup. It provides synchronization between clients. Mm. But then the client is able to do what it what it's good at. It has 100% of the data. So now there's no loading screens. There's no spinners. Yeah. There's no, um, hold on, let me go fetch that. Uh, the server is down. That's fine. You can keep working if you're on an airplane. That's yeah. fine. You can keep working. Love if I way. go out of business, that's okay. You can keep working, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so you get a lot more security controlling your own data um, than you do keeping everything in, in a traditional cloud service.
0: And and I love this because you know that's kind of one of one of my my things is um, you know I'm I'm that guy that you know even as I talk to you now right under the desk below me is my NAS with yeah right everything, I'm the same way right? like I need I need to
1: <laughs> you know I need to make sure I control my data and I have backups exactly. my data and if yeah you know yeah. if Google has some horrible um, my brain just shut off but but if Google yeah. CEO falls apart right and. Get split up into three different companies or antitrust or whatever, right? I, I know that my data is safe no matter what.
0: You know, a big win for you right there is, hey, your, your privacy is better than, than, than a lot of these other services, you know?
1: Exactly. And it, and it also opens up, right now, the Muse sync service is the only sync service that we offer. It opens up the possibility for you to run your own sync server, and so then you can download the Muse app, you can get all of the benefits of me sending out updates and improving the app and everything like that. But then you could sync through your own server entirely or peer-to-peer sync through your own just home Wi-Fi, just device to device directly. Love that. Without a server. And so there's there's a number of different things that I'm looking into that this kind of architecture allows that a traditional cloud architecture would not allow. There's no way on earth that Notion would ever even have the technical possibility of something like this. And so that that's what I think excites me most about local first software, which is yeah. used as one piece of that kind of environment. But it it gives control of the data and control of your privacy to you, the end consumer. Then me as the app developer, I get to do the part that I like, which is build cool features and build cool apps, but I don't have to worry about, you know, building some enormous monolithic server application and server sure. side process. So, so yeah, beca- there, there's because... a lot of benefits to it.
0: I'm sure, you know, you as the developer, you you and I have spoken before, of course. You know, we we both uh, deal with large amounts of data, you know, for Mm -hmm. for different things. Um, And it's a responsibility, right? That The developer, you know, you you just never want to have.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, the less I know about your stuff, the better.
0: All right, here it is. The one thing that I cannot do without every day, and that is my coffee. Anyone that knows me or anyone that's listened to any of my podcasts or anything else knows that I absolutely cannot operate without my coffee, and I love good coffee. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you one free bag of coffee by going to peterwidham.com/coffee. forward slash coffee. There is a wonderful company out there that follows the fair trade practices, helps out a lot of independent roasters of all sizes, and the operation is simple. What you do is... You're going to go to to peterwidham.com forward slash coffee. You sign up there. You get a free bag of coffee sent to you. Yes, in return. They say thank you to me by giving me some coffee. But that's not the reason I'm doing this. The reason I'm doing this is because I have found so many good coffees that I just would never have come across, heard about, or experienced without this service. Trade coffee is, is just fantastic. Uh you know there are plenty of places out there we all know them that supply coffee good coffee you can go to the store get the coffee but there is nothing better than discovering new independent roasters and supporting them discovering new flavors of coffee new grinds for you can set it up it's very smart you tell it the kind of coffee you like and over time it gets better and better as it trains in on your selections and your choices And gives you exactly the coffee you're looking for and recommending new ones that that will be very similar. Every time I get a new packet of coffee, I go through and afterwards I try the coffee. I go through the service and I say, look, I loved this coffee. I thought this coffee was okay. Or I say, look, this was really not for me. And every time I do that, it makes the service a little more accurate on the next selection for me. So again, just go to peterwhidham.com forward slash coffee. Get your free bag of coffee today. If you're a coffee lover, you're gonna really appreciate this service. I have been using it for years at this point and thoroughly recommend it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. It's like I don't want your data. I don't wanna be responsible for your data, you know. Um yep. I, I, and, and like you said, like the sync service, I want as little to go through me as possible. You know. Um so so that's good too. And the idea of, of, like, a local sync and things like that is always appealing. I, mm-hmm. I guess maybe we'll keep an eye out for the future Muse server licensing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's um, definitely
1: something that I'm, I'm eager for over the next months is, how can I open source pieces of the Muse architecture? How can I uh, potentially open source the server? Uh, if not open sourcing the server, could I at least offer, like, a peer-to-peer device-to-device sync mm-hmm. that doesn't even need a server, which in many ways is even better, right? Because there's yeah. less... Yeah. Less, um, maintenance for the end user to do when they want that privacy, they can just, you know, use their wifi. Yeah. The deal. Right. Right. Um, so th- and- that's definitely things that I'm looking into. And that's a, a wonderful benefit of this kind of architecture is it's, uh, privacy first and it's,
0: you know, user control first. Yeah. Um, and I do want to say to the to the users, you know, again, I'm I'm a user of this app, right? It's not that you know, it's not one of these where, oh, I just think it sounds cool. No, I use the app, you know, and uh, like I say, I use it on my iPad and on my my Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and but I do want to say to the users that you know, Adam is very responsive um, to to conversations and, and discussions about features and issues and. And and things like that, which is also, you know, great. I love that you're open to these ideas as opposed to, you know, the other problem can be sometimes when you have teams or, you know, basically more than one or two people making decisions for these things is mm-hmm. it becomes a case of okay well we've got our roadmap and we're going to stick to that right uh, right yeah as opposed to going with well if my users want this thing but i'm not sure but if that's what they want that's that's the route i'm going you know
1: yeah yeah exactly and so the you know literally every single day i carve out time to make sure i'm answering all the emails making sure i'm responding to everyone we have um a very vibrant Discord community as well Great. where folks jump in and chat about you know, best practices or questions or features or bug reports or requests or all that sort of stuff. And so the community within Muse is really the guiding light for mm. where the application goes. And the most, important, the most important foundation, the roots that really grow the tree is the simplicity of Muse, The simplicity of the interface and the uh, and keeping that data local on device, so that everything is quick, everything is fast, Um, and so that way you can you can think and you can think, problem solve without worrying about if the internet connection just flickered because of the storm outside or because you need to travel and you're going to be offline or in a remote area or anything. You can just work and you don't Mm -hmm. even have to all of the worries you have with other tools just kind of disappear and it becomes transparent to you. And so that, that's what I love about, about responding to, to customers is you really see how ideas and how requests and how bug reports bubble up to the top of, Oh, okay. This is something that really the community is looking for. Really people want, it makes my job easier because I'm just, I mean, my job is to be a listener, mm. uh, to be a, a guide for the product and, empower users and empower these customers to use the tool to its
0: best potential. You're right, because we know as developers, it's so easy for us to become absolutely obsessed with a bug. That nobody else cares yeah, about, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, this thing that doesn't
1: actually impact any of the customers at all. But it's yeah. it's intellectually stimulating to solve. And exactly. so we, you know, yeah. it's it's easy yeah. to get sucked in. Yeah.
0: And and you know, that that's interesting too, because I, you know, I know a lot of really fantastic developers who who get in that mindset. They become so obsessed with how technically brilliant something is that mm-hmm. That it prevents them from shipping an update or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to you know get it functional, give the users what they need and and i've all I've said in other episodes, I think the users don 't care how the code looks <laughs> right they, yeah. they, they just yeah. don't you know they just need and the magic to happen and I think you know mm-hmm. like you say with the simplicity of muse and it's you know I always reminds me of the things that are simple to use are so incredibly complicated to uh, to build because you're extracting yeah, away right. the complexity. You know, if you st- if you was to sit down and say build an app like Muse in the real world with notepads, really hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is.
0: I, I yeah, I'm the, not sure. the constraints
1: but- of the problem.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to find infinite paper. They do not stock it down <laughs> at your local store, you know. But yeah. but it is, you know, and and it's so easy to become obsessed with the technical side that mm-hmm. I love when I can put that different hat on and says pretend to be a user for the next hour, right? Mm-hmm. And like yeah. you say, read those user reports, um, you know, yeah. and and see. How does that work with you? One other thing I want to touch on on Muse here before we move on, though, uh, is if there's one feature I've not quite wrapped my head around or found a way to embrace it yet, and I'm Mm -hmm. curious um, if, if, you know, maybe I can sort of get a little bit of the roadmap out of you here, is the templates, right? So there's this feature where you have templates. Now, firstly hey, I may be doing this completely wrong, listeners. So take that, you know, anyone who's ever watched my live stream knows that I've been known for getting things wrong occasionally. <laughs> um, so the templates that, you know, there's a, list of, there's a list of templates in there that you can work with. Is there, firstly, is there the, is that list of templates going to grow? And secondly, will I ever be able to create my own templates in some fashion?
1: You'll be happy to hear yes on both counts. There are gonna be more templates coming. And then you are also going to be able to to create your own templates. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yes. That that's my that, That's been person. requested a number of times. And so Excellent. that's Yep, that's close to the top. Close to that the top for sure.
0: Let's get that one developer on that, shall we, folks? Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah, exactly. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll see if I can find him and uh let him know.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's gone home for the weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's yeah, great exactly. news because that was the first thing that struck me was, you know, again, a tool that lets me work the way I wanna work, and and now hearing that I know my patterns of work, and I'll be able to put that yes. into something. That, that's a huge deal yes. right there.
1: It, it's know. really a, a part of a bigger focus of mine, which is to help. Muse has always been an incredibly simple tool, because with very, very simple primitives, you know, infinite paper, uh, cards of various data types, mm-hmm. and ink, that solves the overwhelming majority of, of problems that you're trying to think through just with Great. very, very simple primitives. Fantastic. Um, and so the next piece is, as Muse continues to grow and gets things like templates and gets things like collaboration, which just shipped, and gets things mm. these new features, it's very easy for applications to drown themselves in accidental complexity. And what used to be a beautifully simple application suddenly has a thousand different features that I don't even use. Mm-hmm. And so letting people customize... Muse and pare down Muse to just the pieces that they care about the most templates being one um, being able to customize the sidebar and kind of uh, turn on and off tools that they don't need. Mm. Um, That's a really big piece of it because the beauty of Muse is how it gets out of your way to let you think. And a, a lot of this focus over these next months is going to be continued iteration on, helping Muse get out of your way.
0: We'll put links in the show notes, um, but talk about, you know, uh, Muse as well uh, from the perspective of, you know, like free, paid, and so on, because, you know, that's important.
1: So uh, yesterday was my birthday.
0: Happy birthday.
1: And thank you. And as part of my birthday, I decided, I mean, I've worked uh, on Muse for, I think, four years now. Okay. And I'm just two months into solo development. And I have loved every moment of it and have appreciated the community. And so for my birthday, I gave out a 50% off to the unlimited annual plan. Wow. 24 hours only. That's it. Okay. I know this podcast is not literally going to get released in this very next moment. But if any of your listeners would like that 50% off, give me a shout and we can work it out and I can send you a code.
0: Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for that, yep. folks. Do it. Just, just do it. Trust me, right? We'll put, yep. it, we'll put it, that it link a, in the it show It is notes. a free app.
1: Yeah, perfect. Yeah. It is a free app. And so anyone is able to download it. They can use it for free forever if they want to. Uh, it is only limited by the number of cards that you mm-hmm. can put down. And so some users who don't want to pay for it, which, hey, fair enough, uh, they will export cards as a, as a Muse bundle, as kind of mm-hmm. an archive format, and then delete them from the app to keep their card count low. And so they can just use it forever if you'd like to support me and support development, which I would certainly appreciate, then you can buy a subscription either monthly or annual. And there's two different tiers that give you both, give you unlimited cards. Uh, and then you can have multiple different workspaces and multiple collaborators on those workspaces. So you can invite other people to work with you in real time or asynchronously. Uh, so yeah, so it is, it Fantastic. is free, free forever. Um, and then, the uh, the plans start at three ninety nine a month as the uh, the professional tier plan, and that unlocks unlimited cards, uh, multiple workspaces, multiple collaborators, um, the whole bit.
0: You know what? I mean, again, I can't help but be biased here, but uh, you know, folks, go ahead and do it. Right? Do it this way. Try the free one for a couple of days. You'll mm-hmm. you'll realize this is the thing for me, or not that quickly i i think and then um then dive in and especially take advantage of this wonderful opportunity here from adam as everyone knows that listens to this show um i'm a big proponent of you know say thank you and reward the folks that make the tools that enable you to do what you need to get done so thank you for that appreciate that All yeah right.
1: absolutely yeah get those uh, get those listeners that that discount code jump in
0: <laughs> yeah show notes uh or the or the blog post for this um i'll be putting it all out there somewhere or reach out to me and i'll i'll connect you up you know we'll we'll put all of adams links in the show notes here but you can also just reach out to me at compileswift.com and say hey peter hook me up and and i'll yeah, make the, i'll perfect. send them your way all right i want to talk about another app here and mm-hmm. th- this is one of those apps it's it's I guess you know depends on where you sit right. It, yes, folks, it involves AI and developers. So, it's either going to be controversial or a lifesaver. But I'm going to tell you my story. Here's my story. Right, sit around the campfire. Um, I I resisted apps that helped me from an AI perspective because mm-hmm. I was afraid that it's like okay. I'll, you know, it's it's not going to go great <laughs> like everybody else. And then developer Duck came along and some folks on my live stream uh, kept telling me, you should try this, try this, try this. And it's like, all right, I'm going to try it. So downloaded developer Duck again, link in the show notes, and I was sold. And, and but the reason I was sold is two things. Firstly, it has Xcode integration, obviously of huge importance for, for folks like ourselves. Uh, And probably a majority of folks listen to this podcast. So that's number one. But number two, it does such a great job. And I want to start out just quickly by giving a couple of real world examples. Um, You know, again, if you've ever watched my live stream and and Adam's been there, he's seen this happen. Uh, (laughs) I'm one of those people. I write my code out uh, in long form. So that I can understand it, know what 's going on mm-hmm. and then and then bring it back in and, and make it look slightly more respectable on the live stream, so that all my developer friends don 't make fun of me but <laughs> uh, also sometimes you know you just need to know the answer to something and and it's it 's worked for me both, and so that's that 's really what developer duck does here it's it 's like my assistant for uh, solving problems, asking questions and and making things better. But the most astounding thing that happened to me, and Adam, I know you, you've heard me say this before, was um, I had some code and it was one of those terrible long if statements. Not that anybody but me has ever written one of those. So I've given everyone a, a get out of jail <laughs> right there. But I had one of those and I knew it's like, you know, a case statement is the way to, to make this better. But, you know, it's a case of, well, I could write this or, you know, I think. We did this on a live stream. And I think, Adam, you were there when I did this. was like, let's test this thing. Mm-hmm. So I was working in SpriteKit on something. I took the code, took it over to developer doc, essentially typed in, I think, like, make this code better. Gave it the code. And, you know, within a few seconds, sure enough, it did. And, and it was a uh, case statement. But it also recognized the, you know, repetitive code and broke it out into a mm-hmm. function and things like that. And then, you know, not satisfied that I had tried to insult it enough, I decided to give it another go. And here's, here's the big one, right, folks? We've all done this. You know, I'm, of course, again, I'm the only person in the world that doesn't document my code. Let, let's put that out there. Of course. <laughs> but, yeah, right. <laughs> but I selected the code and asked it to document my code. And dang, if it didn't do it, and you know i'm sitting here watching this this tool explain to me in straightforward everyday language what mm-hmm. my code was doing and mm-hmm. it wrote it in a way that the documentation was better than i was ever going to do cuz let's be fair i had every intention of writing that documentation six or seven months from now. That's right. Just after this
1: next line of code to write. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. <laughs> just like, yeah, I'll, I'll just yeah. get to There's that. There's one more line of code.
0: That's <laughs> it. But it, it, it documented my code and explained it flawlessly. So mm. uh, I just want to set that up there for folks. But yes, talk to us about Developer Duck. You know, explain where it yeah. came from, how it is so unbelievably clever, and, and why I can retire early and let it do my work. For me. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's... When ChatGPT launched, I was the first thing I did, of course, was say, "Okay, write this code for me. Like, show me bubble sort. Right, just a very easy thing." And sure enough, it spit out some code. I'm like, "Whoa, wait a second. This is not just a you know an, an English language kind of thing, but this is a a code thing, really." Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I used it you know, off and on of, oh, I don't really quite understand this piece of code. Let's just see what the chat thing says before I go to Stack Overflow. And I got surprisingly competent answers most of the time. Sometimes it's wrong, of course, but sometimes it kind of led me on the right direction. Um, But it was was very verbose and it Mm -hmm. was just so long in its answers and so chatty in its answers. And I thought once the API came out, I was like, okay, what if I could take chat GPT, which is, surprisingly good on its own, get it to just make it a bit more concise, like brevity please. Um or sometimes I just want it to give me a code sample without any of the extra, you know, three paragraph long explanations. And so that's what I set out to do was use the API, give it some custom prompts so that I get higher quality answers with less just chattiness generally. So it's it's very concise in its higher quality answers. And then through this process, I've learned all kinds of th- different things about language models. Like mm. if you prompt a language model to say, you are an expert in Swift, please analyze the Swift code. You're going to get a higher quality answer than if you just don't prompt and tell it that it's a high- that it's a expert Swift developer because it's doing autocomplete basically, right? Like it's, it's predicting based on all of the text that it's ever seen. And so in prompting it that it is an expert Swift developer, you are helping the language model narrow down where it, what kind of data it's using for its autocomplete. Basically, right? It's going to start. It's going to default to saying, "Oh, okay, these Stack Overflow answers, these like high quality uh, hacking with Swift and uh, Swift by Sindel and a number of other blogs that are you know really high quality. It's going to start leaning on those a lot more." than Genera Google exor, uh, results or kind of the rest of its learning library. So you get higher quality results with how you prompt it, which was kind of amazing. And so that's what Developer Duck does, is it, it gives a high quality prompt so that way ChatGPT is using the best of its knowledge to answer you. It's also chaining some of these things together so that way it's replying with the type of reply you most want whether it's a code block or an explanation in English or comments or anything else. So yeah, so it ends up being, in in my opinion, a quicker, higher quality output than just a typical ChatGPT chat instance. It's been a really helpful rubber duck for me, especially for questions thinking about, okay, I need to solve this problem. I've never really solved this problem before, which is, you know, most of coding. I don't even know what the word is. Uh, Mm -hmm. to describe this algorithm. So you can just kind of start explaining to developer duck like you would another human, and then developer duck comes back with all of the jargon that you need to search Stack Overflow and to to narrow down to the answer that you need. Suddenly you know what the API is to look for in Apple's documentation. Suddenly you know where you should start looking generally for the answer. And so I found that extremely helpful as well. Maybe it'll give me the answer straight away, but if nothing else, it gives me the information to start understanding where I should look, um, which is super helpful. Time for a break.
0: Hey, everybody. It's Peter Whittem here from the Compulsory Podcast. I want to tell you about Setapp. Setapp is a service that provides a subscription fee of just $10 a month, and you get access to over 200 Mac applications. And it's also available now on iOS as part of that deal. I use the service because it just has a ton of really good first rate apps that I use all the time. And for me, it's invaluable as a developer to have access to tools for things like APIs, for planning projects, uh, writing emails, writing documentation. And you get all of these things, including database apps, all of that kind of stuff right there on the set app service for just $10 a month. You can use as many or as few applications as you need. If you're interested in checking this out, go to Peterwittam.com P E T E R W I T H A M dot com forward slash set app S E T A P P and you can see the details there and it's got a link that you can go over and start using the service and see how it works out for you. I strongly recommend this to every Mac user. Break time over. Yeah, you're right. You know, a couple of examples. Well, an example right here. Um, I was working in my game, and I, I knew I wanted to include a particle system from SpriteKit. You know, I, I'd done it before, but it was so long ago that I, no chance of me remembering. And I remembered just enough to basically tell, tell it, look, I know it's a particle system. It's in SpriteKit using Swift. And I want—I've got one, and I want to put it on a screen. And yeah. that was enough that it almost instantly came back with not only a good example of code, exactly how to do that, but it also explains. Look, this is what this code is. This is how it works. So you can read the explanation. And I looked at the mm-hmm. code, and it was enough to jog my memory and go, "Oh, yep, yeah, th- this is exactly what I need." I mean, I literally took it um, from from the window into my app and and boom away it went but but you're quite right in as well that it is like a pair programming friend um the more you can give it certainly the more accurate it can Mm -hmm. be but it is a you know like all these things i think people think that you you ask something a question an ai whatever it is a question and and it's either going to get it right or wrong and that's not really uh, the the way these things work, right? You know, it's it's what I have found is that progressive conversation. Um, so it's like, look, like you said, it's like, look, you're an expert on Swift, so already mm-hmm. it right. knows, okay, Swift language, and you you know, I know the words particle system. Oh, I know, I know what he's talking about, right? And and I'm telling it, I want to put it on the screen, and from there, that's enough information for it to start suggesting things. Saying, I think you might mean this, right? And then I can look at it and go, you know, that's great. But whatever the next thing right. is, and it is a progressive conversation, and it works so beautifully well. And I never feel yeah. like I'm leaving my tools, right? I never feel like I'm leaving Xcode, for example. Um, yes, it may come up in a you know separate window, or I'm using the Xcode integration, but I'm not having to open mm-hmm. up a web browser go to a website, get distracted, watch 10 cat videos on YouTube. Three hours later, I remember, oh, that's right. right. I was writing some code. And so that's an important aspect, too, <laughs> is it sits yeah. right there as a friend to code yeah. with. Uh, and again, folks, we'll we'll put links in the show notes. But um, it is not something to be mm-hmm. feared, right? You know. Yeah, so many folks worry about that. And, and it's really not. It's like, no, yeah. no, this is here to help you. you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. I think, right, it's a tool. It's a mm. tool like anything else. You know, I, I think of the jump from assembly to C, right? Well, we lost some ability because we, we moved back um, in abstraction. And so now when you work in C, you can't fiddle mm. precisely with the assembly, which had certain benefits, whether it's speed or anything else and it's the same kind of thing using this tool you're going to lose some stuff you're going to you're going to lose the ability to to research and really think through exactly what it's going mm-hmm. like going from mm-hmm. zero knowledge to 100% knowledge usually that happens entirely in your in your own brain which is a valuable process going through ai you short circuit that so you get to the answer faster and then once you have the answer the onus yeah. is still on you to say, okay, let me make sure I understand this before I just ship it out the window. And so the, the tool lets me get to the end quicker. And especially being a programmer, I can validate the the mm-hmm. output that it gives me and say, yes, this is reasonable code. It did not insert a SQL injection or it did not, you know, there's not bugs in here that I need to look at. Yeah, it's a, it's a tool like anything else, like anything else that we use, a debugger, uh all of the uh, analyzers that we use in Xcode to find memory leaks or strong references or reference cycles or anything like that. It's its just another tool in the toolkit to help us write better software.
0: Well, and also, you know, touching on that there, if you are doing something and and you don't know what that is, like, like for example, mm-hmm. you said right there, you know, uh, thanks to Swift and, and things these days, you don't have to know as as much about memory management as as you once did. So if you come across something that's like, like you say, it's like retain cycle or strong reference or something like that. And, you know, we've all been there, right? At some point you're like, "Mm, I don't want to ask people because that'll be embarrassing and they might make fun of me. But you can ask these tools, you know, what is (laughs) a strong reference, right? And it'll explain it. And it's not going to judge, well, I don't think it's going to judge you, maybe, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But, but so you can use it as a learning tool for asking those questions that maybe you don't want to ask someone. But also, right. as you said, it's a case of it used to be I've got my reference books on the shelf. If the answer's not there, um, I'm in trouble, you know. And also, right. what what if I don't know what the question is? <laughs> You know, right. where you can yeah. you can look through books all the time until the end of time. It's not going to help you if you don't know what the question is. But if you've got a tool like AI, where you can try to over time figure out the right question, we've all done it, right? There's nothing worse. You Google something, and absolutely nothing comes back. And the first thing you realize is I'm asking the wrong question. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Exactly. I I think the the times it's helped me the most are. When I don't know the jargon to ask, I know the problem I need to solve, but I don't know the jargon about the solution. I don't know the algorithm name or the data structure name or whatever it is. So I can describe the problem and it's, it gives me back the jargon as well as maybe even a potential solution. And so then I can say, okay, now I have enough foundation in my own language to say, okay, now I know what to research. Mm-hmm. Now I know what to go read and know how to verify this, this solution. The other time has been really helpful is when I have a problem... And the only way to describe that problem is using just, like, very general terms of, oh, I have a memory cycle between these two functions and this object. Uh, How do I solve it? Well, that's not something I can type into Google or Stack Overflow or anything else because it's just going to spit back very general answers of retain cycles are bad. (laughs) Yes, Yes, I know. I'm trying to (laughs) fix that, right? Yeah. With a tool like developer duck, I can paste in my source code, I can paste in the problem that I'm trying to solve and describe it, and it can talk to me very specifically about my exact situation and my mm, code mm-hmm. and my I've pasted in crash reports and the source code related to the crash report and saying like why? Like I don't know why this is crashing. Mm, mm-hmm. Give me some possible scenarios, like give brainstorm with me what I need to look into. So all sorts of those those questions are wonderful. And what I particularly love about using developer duck in particular, as well as I'm sure a number of other tools do this using the API, I can opt out with open AI and say with this key, with my company name and with my account, do not use any of the data that I send to you for training,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: means all of my conversations in developer duck are now private essentially they're not going to get recycled into you know the open ai monolith into chat gpt's history it's something where chat gpt is going to use its existing knowledge to talk about my code but it's not going to incorporate my code into its knowledge yes which yeah. makes me a lot more comfortable sharing code that might otherwise be you know entirely private entirely you know copyright safe
0: and wow. and that is a, a big problem you know i know that uh, for example in, in my day job uh, we have, we have been told to, you know at least right now don't use ai tools for that very reason right, right. Um, yeah. not because you can't you know it's not even a case of don't 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 trust the results it gives you it really is don't feed the algorithm um, right even you know yeah accidentally something because yes I mean you know once it's in there it's in there right and if someone's you know looking to do you know bad things with one of your apps and and you know you you accidentally put in some reference and then one day they're like hey how can I get in to hack the API on developer doc or something like that well, if yeah. it's in the model, it's going to spit it back. Yeah, so, if it's
1: memorized yeah. that code inside of its training, then all of a sudden it can, you know, yeah, spit that code verbatim out to somebody else. Or yes. I mean, who knows what, right? It can yeah. cause problems, and so
0: and you know, I you know, I always say to folks these folks who you know say that AI is taking everybody's jobs and, and everything else is, um, you know, it's only going to be as smart as you make it, but at the same time. You have to be smart in return, and you know you you touched on it earlier. Question the results, right? You know, yeah. don't just blindly put it in. Um, look at it. Make sure you know. And I'm I'm sure I've said this a hundred times. Make sure you understand what it's giving you back. It's just like right, and and uh, you know, you, I'll give you an example here. Uh, I I do coding live streams, as as Adam well knows, and many of you know. Um, You know, if someone in the chat room gives you code, make sure it's from either a a trusted source or or b you know, make sure you understand it. Don't just take it from the chat room, put it in, and run it.
1: Don't copy and paste random things into your terminal. Exactly. (laughs) Whether it's from chat or AI, right? Both are exactly yeah. The responsibility is
0: still yeah. The responsibility is yours. Right? The, yep. It is no different than if you read it in some resource manual f- five years ago. It's no different, right? Once you put it in, you're the one making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything yep. else? Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I should say also greatly love the icon, right? You oh, know, yeah. Uh, it, it's a very steampunky kind of like. You know, you put it on your dock yeah. just because it looks cool, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know?
1: I, I loved it. I went through, uh, I tried, I think mid-journey, I tried the first iteration of Dolly and Dolly 2, I think, and it was just, <laughs> hey, make me a steampunk duck icon. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that's the Nailed one that came it. out. And I yeah. had two, so many favorites that there's uh, you could choose the icon in the app. So. That's um, always the, the great thing. There's yeah. a bunch of different options that are all ridiculous and wonderful in their own AI-generated kind of way.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you, you can have so much fun with these things. I remember, um, you know, a friend of ours, uh, I, I mentioned him in the episodes before, shout out to CocoType, uh, who's out there somewhere. He came up with, he I think it was Mid Journey he used for the icon mm-hmm. for my game Endless Hurdles. And when he came back oh, with nice. it, yeah, he came back with it and I looked at it and I'm like, you know what? That's so dang good and I could never come up with something like that. I gotta mm-hmm. go with this. Um and, and so, you know, again, these AI tools are great for solving problems in ways that you just never would have thought of, or they spark Mm -hmm. the thought of how to solve the problem. You know, again, how you use the tool, right? Is there anything else about developer duck? Uh, Let's talk about licensing on it here. Uh, Because again, Mm -hmm. you know, as we said earlier, support the folks that that make tools for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's free to use. Uh, I think I give you what amounts to 50 cents of credit, which because chat gpt is so cheap it ends up being it's a lot like the entire text of moby dick or something like it it's an enormous amount of text you get for free and then after that you can subscribe yeah. and that subscription helps the development obviously but it helps run the server because the requests do go through my server to get the prompt customized and to uh, be able to be fed to whatever the latest models it's things get updated so that's helpful it starts out i think the cheapest plan uh I mean, four ninety nine is is the yeah it's it's very low, but it's it's actually on discount right now as well. Um, and so there's a yeah December discount. I think it's at least half off. Oh, there
0: you uh, so, go. Yeah, folks. Go in there. Crazy cheap <laughs> those credits. Yeah, yeah, it's it's insane um, how cheap it is.
1: And what's nice is you can sw- oh go ahead yeah yeah you can switch between the the version three point five, which is pretty smart for most things, or you can use four and their their very latest models.
0: Yeah, and I was going to mention they that
1: GPT-5. So so you can pick whichever model you want and you can almost ask them both and switch mid conversations that way you get um, if you feel like you're not getting the smart enough answer yet, ask the ask the,
0: the version one layer up. <laughs> yeah. And see yeah. if it's,
1: it's a bit more helpful.
0: And I, that's why I got to go back and check because um, I, I cannot remember what my w- mm-hmm. which version I'm on. Um, but I do remember seeing that you could check uh, pick the 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 engine versions, however you want to phrase it. So that's yep. nice too. But, uh, you know, again, developers, I, I just got to say it, right? Tools like this, in a, in using this, something like developer duck for an hour, you, when you realize how much time, even just think of it as research mm-hmm. time, it saves you, right? And, and yeah. you know, it, these licenses are, you know, cheaper than I think they should be. Um, yeah. So I, I need to get on to you about that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, point, you're welcome to pay me
1: twice as twice much as, as much. Like there you either. go. I'll do it for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: you know, but but the the thing there is, folks, is that these tools, if you put them in the context of how much you pay every year for coffee, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's just start there. Right. It, it's nothing, folks. And, and it will yeah. vastly improve your your productivity, your learning. Right. It's a learning resource, too. Um, the, these are things that we will use every day in our jobs and uh, yep. again reward your tool makers to make better tools and to just say thank you for saving me the night so i do want to yeah. put that out there strongly emphasize again on both of these tools muse as well um yeah is there anything yeah, else I, here sorry go-
1: i appreciate that no i think that's perfect it's it is more than paid for itself for me and I, I happen to build it but if i had not built it i would have bought it from somebody else because it saves so much time for me in that research step um, well you know that's that it important. Is
0: more than paid for itself in my own time of, <laughs> Yeah, during work and yeah. and that's that's something else that I, I love to hear and i hear this so often and and this is i think when you know developers are making the things that they're, they're, they're supposed to be making because you use it yourself. So you're going to yeah. feel the the rewards and the pain of the users, right? And exactly. um, that's, ex- you know, I, I often say, I think that the best tools we make, right, are the ones that we make to use ourselves, not necessarily the ones that we make for our clients because we are living the pros and cons right there with everybody on a daily basis, Oh, you know, so that that almost, I don't want to say guarantees, but it, it certainly says, look, this thing's got a future, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and it's not going to be just a one hit thing and, and gone away tomorrow. Again, all the more reason to support developers. Is there anything else here we, we haven't covered on Developer Duck you want to dive into?
1: Oh, I, think we've, I think we've covered a lot. That's everything on my end. I, I've enjoyed every moment. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, well, um, we'll have to have you back to, to you know, so many other things that, that we can talk about here, Swift development and everything else. You know, and, and it struck me as we were talking here, I, I got to test this, but maybe I'll do it on a live stream <laughs> so that I can embarrass myself yet again. I know I, I, I do it every week, folks. Uh, <laughs> but another great use for something like Developer Doc, I, I'm guessing, would be. For example, taking something that you find in Objective C and saying, "Yeah, show me a Swift version because yeah. I'm still living that pain of of you know migrating code bases from Objective C to Swift. I know I'm not the only one, but that's another great way to a learn and b get it done right you know yeah, another absolutely. use for the tool maybe that's maybe that's my recommendation there. Let's put a request in for something in Xcode. Uh, in the integration it yeah. just says convert this to and then yeah switch. convert to yeah yeah
1: or uh or write unit test for oh or, oh
0: that's the one that's yeah, the that's one yeah one. that's my yeah. next one write my test so i don't have to it'll fit on a button right
1: <laughs> yeah or or reverse you write the test and it writes the implementation oh, does, until that, it passes the test that would wouldn't be
0: that'd be an interesting yeah, thing that'd be a um, trick <laughs> that that would be interesting to try that yeah all right well you know, conscious of the timing. Adam, thank you, my friend. Um, I Thanks have so been looking for forward me. to this. Oh, you're more than welcome. I have been looking forward to this conversation, you know because, again, I, I can't say enough nice things about these tools. I I would love to, to say, oh, you know, well, I did find something that was wrong, but it turns out it was there all the time. So, <laughs> you know, it was me. Who knew? Everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, thank you so much for your time on this. And take advantage of these offers while they're out there, because um, th- these tools... I, I can't tell you how much they've changed my day they, they really have and i'm I'm one of those people who's always looking for something to make make life easier so I can focus on the things I should be doing and and these two tools right mm. here enable me to do that. so Adam, thank you so much my friend for making these tools, putting them out there and and for coming along today to talk about it. I really hope we've convinced a lot of people to at least, Go try them, but more importantly, go get them and support Adam in his work. And I can't even imagine how wonderful these tools are going to be tomorrow. Thank you, buddy.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. I enjoyed every second of it. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Again, folks, links in the show notes for everything. Uh, That's what we got for you here in this one. Uh, We will leave it there and we will speak to you next time. Thank you.